I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep. So I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, Sklar Brothers here with Dan Van Kirk. Yes. From Dumb People Town, and we've got Adam from Adam Ruins Everything. Adam Conover on the show this Hello. week. Hello. Good time in Dumb People Town, right? I mean, you like to make people smarter. When they finish watching your show That's what I and try to do. listen to your podcast, they try and be smarter. We are going to not be focusing on those people in this, <laughs> in this episode. No, but we are going to focus on possibly the greatest eyewitness to any one of our stories. Mulver. 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 The first story Mulver. has one of the greatest Dumb People Town characters everywhere ever and he didn't actually do anything wrong <laughs> check it out today's episode is brought to you by last rampage the new true crime film starring robert patrick heather graham and bruce davison and we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie so uh, my name is alvaro rodriguez i'm the screenwriter for the last rampage as a writer to me i'm less interested in genre and more interested in character and, you know, I've written in a lot of different genres, you know, um, you know, kind of horror genre, thriller or action movie or kids movie or, you know, different kinds of things. And it was always more, I was always more interested in character and hadn't really quite done something like this before, but was just uh, really drawn to this idea of, um, of a guy like Gary Tyson who, you know, had been in and out of institutions from the time he was, you know, a kid um, and uh, and having sort of raised three sons from behind bars uh, and how these three sons kind of grew up in the church of Gary and thinking that their father had been, you know, unjustly accused and unjustly convicted and all of this stuff that they were getting fed um, from their mom, Dorothy, who's played in the film by Heather Graham. So to me, it was just, I was interested in telling that kind of a story, telling a family story. You know, to me, the most interesting stories are family-centered in, in some way. You know, they're elemental stories. They're stories that um, go back to, you know, to the most intimate and elemental parts of ourselves. So the idea of fathers and sons, you know, there's a line in the script about, in the movie about that, um, you know, where Gary tells his oldest son, you know, Donnie, there's only one law you got to worry about, you know, and that's a law of fathers over sons. And the only way you're going to, you know, get past that is, you know, by this, you know, by dying, basically. But kind of threatens him a little bit. But um, so that was really you know, the touchstone for me, uh, trying to figure out how to tell that story. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at Last Rampage Film or on Facebook.com slash 
Last Rampage film. Episode 2 of the X-Files Files. I'm your host, Kamel Nanciani. This episode, uh, we're going to be talking about Squeeze, uh, which is the episode, which is the third episode, uh, season one of the X-Files. Um, our guest is DC Pearson, who's a hilarious comedian, really, really uh, funny guy, really great guy, huge fan of the X-Files, actually showed up in a pretty cool X-Files t-shirt. Um, so I kind of talked to him, and he's a friend of mine. I hadn't really seen him in a little bit, so the first few minutes we kind of spent catching up. I hope it'll still be interesting. He was in the uh, new Captain America Winter Soldier movie, so we talk a little bit about that. And then we do get to X-Files, you know, after the f- first few minutes of us just kind of bullshitting around. That Hopefully, in a way, that's still interesting to you. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we talk about uh, Squeeze, which is, I-, I think, a really great Monster of the Week episode. Um, one thing I want to address, so I mentioned... First of all, the uh, feedback to the first episode has been so overwhelming. I mean, I did not think this many people would be listening to it and talking about it. I was just going to do this as just some sort of goofy thing as an excuse to rewatch the X-Files. And now I'm like, oh, I guess I have a responsibility. I have to like, go through this and keep uh, doing this, which is awesome. It's awesome that so many people seem to have found the podcast and connected with it. Um, I mentioned that I wasn't going to be covering every episode, and I got some grief on Twitter and on social media from that, and I'm going to explain myself this way. This show is for two kinds of people. One, people who have never watched The X-Files, and for them, I'm guiding them through the good episodes of The X-Files. They don't really want to see the shitty ones. I mean, there aren't that many shitty ones, but they are there. There are ones that are underwhelming, and you don't want to see those. So for them, I'm helping them skip the ones that aren't that well done when you're making 25 hours of television a year some of them are not going to be great that's just the reality of it the second group is for people who have already watched the x-files and are rediscovering it well then you don't need me to talk about the episodes that i don't like because you've already watched them and you have your own opinion opinion of them anyway so then what's the point of me telling you what i think when you already know what you think so for me, skipping some episodes, really there's no victims because I don't. I get to skip the ones I don't want to see again. The people who I think wouldn't like them wouldn't see them. And then the people who have seen them, well, they've seen them. So it doesn't matter if I see them or not. Um, so, so that's sort of my logic for that. So I'm going to be skipping episodes here and there. However, the first four we do cover. And I'm going to, even if there are ones that I don't love, if they have something that I think contribute to the overall mythology of the X-Files or really contribute to the characters as, um, as they exist on the show, then I, uh, then I will be covering those. So that's sort of my explanation for that. Um, for instance, the, the episode five, um, I don't even remember what it's called. I, I don't like that episode, and I, I am going to skip that episode. So just so you know, if you like episode five, you can watch it, form your own opinions of it. So basically, I think the best way to enjoy this podcast is to watch the episode that I'm talking about beforehand um, and then listen to this uh, episode of the podcast. So this uh, episode is uh, about Squeeze. So watch Squeeze, then listen to this episode. 
Hey, welcome to episode two of the X-Files Files. I'm your host, Kamel Nanjiani, and our guest is uh, the wonderful DC Pearson. How's it going, DC? Hey, guys. DC, you know from, by the way, I haven't talked to you about this uh, in person, but you were fantastic in Captain America. Winter oh, Soldier. thank you. What a great little, like, fun part where it's, like, one scene, but it's, like, really funny and it kind of stands out. And uh, people who don't know, he is the uh, guy at the Mac store, a- Apple store. And you call him a specimen. It's really funny. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I was really stoked to get to do it. Um, I, I, I just got. I, I was. It was a. It came as a complete like surprise and 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 shock. And then didn't. Did you just go to a random Apple store and they were shooting? <laughs> and then they were like, get in there, get in there. Yeah. No, um, I. Um, I the guys that directed it, the Russo brothers, Joe and Anthony Russo, right? They've um, done a bunch of community. Yeah, I sort of yeah know them via like community, um, and they they saw our movie. My comedy group, Derek, made a movie called Mystery Team. It went to Sundance several years ago, and they saw it and liked it, and and through that basically like Donald Glover, one of the guys in the group, ended up playing oh. Troy on Community. Oh, he um, got he started doing Troy. Through yeah, that. I had yeah, no and idea. then we we sort of ended up kind of. The rest of us being sort of slowly integrated into the community yeah. verse, and like like Dan Ekman, uh, who directed Mystery Team, one of the guys in the group, um, he like shadowed the Russos on like the pilot, and they kind of uh, were were just sort of uh, super cool and and cool to all of us. And he ended up directing an episode um, a couple seasons later, and then we all ended up in like various little like bit parts throughout. Uh, community, yeah, which was, which you was cool. and Dominic, were and then both. yeah, and so then they just um um they I just got like an email like so you a, didn't audition or anything. N- they were like, hey, you want to be in the new Captain America? Right, movie? right, right. Which is um really it's like uh it was it was weird, but it was awesome. It was kind of like the cool you you like go out for an audition for all these things that you're like you're like this kind of sucks, but I would do it. Yeah, um and and really try hard to get things. You're like this is okay. And then a thing that you would like step over several of your own grandmas to get, they're just like, "Hey, you want to do it?" And you're like, yeah, "Yeah, okay, cool." Yeah, <laughs> and it's pretty rare. Like that doesn't happen. Like a big Marvel movie like that, they just ask you without audition. right, That's right, awesome. right. It was it was really um, it was really cool. It was sort of a um, there's no lesson to take away from it. I guess Chris <laughs> Evans is just a... like answer your phone. I don't know. Yeah, um, uh, Chris Evans is a real dick, right? <laughs> right. Uh, he was. I. I. That's the thing. You can't like talk about anything like this because you just end up sending. You're like, oh, they so were actually bad. super nice. Everyone's super nice. They were nice. super yeah. nice. Like, yeah, no one writes a book about how nice people right. are. Scarlett Johansson was wearing a hoodie. Like yeah. they were. Like they yeah. were very nice. But there's no story yeah, there. Th- I wish th- there. You know. Yeah. There's no books or documentaries about like shoots that go smoothly. <laughs> Everything was great. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. yeah it. Uh, so and the Rousseaus were super nice, and it was weird too because it was such a big production, but it was like the most relaxed. Really? environment that I'd ever been around in terms of like a film shoot. I guess because they're just like, it's going to be fine. It's going to make America too. a billion Everybody dollars. Everybody loves Captain America. Everyone's on Marvel board. movie's really good. It's yeah. going to be fine. It's going to be great. Yeah. I was bummed out I saw that Edgar Wright isn't I doing know. Ant-Man anymore. What the fuck is that? That That's blows. such a bummer. That is a huge bummer. Yeah, I was, I had just been thinking, I think maybe I, um, I might have caused it with my brain. Uh, this is my Catholic upbringing talking. The day before, I had just been thinking to myself, driving in the car, like, that Edgar Wright Ant-Man's going to be really cool. I'm really looking forward so to that. So you think and the universe think just I, to fuck just you. To, just to, is that narcissistic at That's all? how much, I mean, it is narcissistic <laughs> for sure. That's how much God hates you, is that he's yeah. like, fuck all the nerds. 
Fuck right. Edgar Wright. I think that that that's what like a, a Catholic sort of uh, upbringing does to you is that you think that if I get excited about something, God will like yeah. smite it. You know, I have a bit of that too. Where like, don't get too excited because then it's gonna go away. Even though there's no real correlation. Right. Obviously. Right. Well, yeah. Did you ever play like weird mental games with yourself as a kid where you'd be like, if God is real, oh, yeah. then that light's gonna like turn on right now, or like the the leaf is gonna blow by yeah. right now, and then it wouldn't happen. And you'd be like, all right, well, that's yeah. a wash. I thought the universe was like just and uh, like. Or just cause and effect. So, like, if someone, if I were watching a basketball game and someone would get fouled and they didn't make their shots, I'm like, oh, that means they didn't really get fouled. Like, that was uh, that was a bad call. Because oh, if it was the weird. right call, then he would have gotten the points. Oh, for because it. there would have it would have been like a like justice would have been yeah. served. I thought that's I, beautiful. I was I oh yeah and and uh, tremendously incorrect. <laughs> Very <horrifically>. incorrect. <laughs> the world uh, sucks for the yeah. most part. Um, but uh, well, thank you so much for coming. I my pleasure. You are wearing an awesome Dana Scully T-shirt right now. Yeah, it says um, Our Lady of Skepticism. Totally. On it. Yeah. Um. Uh. Maggie, one of the other people in, in Derek, got this for me. Um. For Christmas last year. Yeah. She, it. Um. I think it's part of a series. They have like different like it's fictional female characters, and they're like Our Lady of this, Our Lady of that, and oh, Dana Scully cool. is Our Lady of Skepticism. And uh, yeah, I love it. It's really it's really neat. I don't go in much for the like the the novelty shirts yeah but this one just seemed like so it's a it's great looking and b i just so i don't even be it's not to me like an ironic 90s throwback thing it's just so deeply a part of oh yeah who i am if that makes any sense that's how that, i feel about the x-files right. like no part of me loves this show yeah it's not like full house or even like a nostalgic yeah like full house i used to love full house i was thinking yesterday about all the tv shows that i watched that i'd don't think about like Grace Under Fire. I used to watch Grace Under Fire. I barely remember that show. But um, so you were a big X Files fan. Yeah, very big. I um my friend, uh, my like first best friend that I ever had, like in like fourth grade, my friend Trevor, um, uh, got me into the X Files. I think we were like over at his house, and he was like, "Oh, there's a show. You gotta like check it out." It's super oh, sweet. really? So and you hadn't heard? Of yeah, that. I I had heard of it, but it was like too grown up. Really, yeah. for me to watch. I mean, it has like X in the title. So it sounds, <laughs> it sounds vaguely illicit. Remember when rated X used to mean there was like fucking yes. and stuff? That's not a thing anymore. No, what now it's NC 17. Yeah. Um, well, unless it's rated triple X, in which case Vin Diesel is going to punch you in the face. They used to. Triple X was porn. Triple X was a thing, but I don't think. I, I Was it just kids? I don't know. I don't think that Triple X ever was it ever something that an actual board of ratings ever applied, or was that just like pornographers' ways of being I don't like know. this is like fucking really dirty. What I do know a hundred percent sure is that there is a porn parody called the Triple X Files. I haven't seen it. Of course it. there is. I am a hundred percent sure of course that there has, is. Yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't there be? Um so also so, shot in Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to be really legit. <laughs> and then the sixth movie they actually, in LA, yeah. <laughs> right, it's not right. as good. <laughs> it's, it's canon. Oh, here it is. Uh, Dustin just brought it up. on. Oh, the... yep. The Triple X Files? Is that right? Oh, my God. Huh. Now there is... See, but it seems like know. a lot of it's not really science fiction. A lot of it's just like uh, somebody blowing a dude. Oh, well, there's that... kind of a... Oh, now we're looking at a... Um, That's a Photoshop picture of Mulder, Mulder. and Scully engaging in S&M sex. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, <laughs> it's fine. 
<laughs> so, um, so did you then? What season was that? Did you start off in the um, beginning? Like, I, I I remember distinctly that the first episode I ever watched. It was a new episode at the time. Um, was uh, I think it's from like season two. It's called DPO. It, Darren Peter Oswald. It's about like a guy who. Um, some act, I think it might be like Seth Green or somebody. Yes. Um, well, and- Seth Green's in the first episode. Oh, okay. The first two. Then, yeah. um, isn't it? I think it's like it's either Giovanni Ribisi. That's it. It's Giovanni yeah. Ribisi. Yeah. Um, and he plays a disaffected teen who is like good, like loves some like arcade game, and then some guys are like, get off the game, man, and he like shocks them. He can. Like, oh yeah, he's like the electricity lightning. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first one I saw, and it was a good way to get into the show because it was like a standalone episode. Yeah. So it's just like delivering on the premise that you've heard of like these FBI agents and they investigate like paranormal stuff and I believe I think it had like a really great cold open as they usually do that was I mean that was one of the things about the X-Files every cold open was fantastic well that's why I thought that's one of the reasons I really liked Breaking Bad is because I feel like it had so much X-Files DNA in it like the cold opens always being like kind of weird or off-putting or sort of like um, how are we going to like get back to this or how is this going to like pay off like they the, the, the structure of them was so is so like pulpy and wonderful the way that the, the cold open yeah and it's half the were. same people right. are involved what was it about the X-Files that you think really like were you into sci-fi like what was your deal as a kid um, yeah I was really into like uh, science fiction fantasy and stuff like that um, and like Star Wars and I I Try, almost tried to get into Star Trek like it was homework. Like I really liked, <laughs> I really liked Star Wars just kind of yeah. like in the in the crib. Mm-hmm. But then I knew that Star Trek was out there, and so it was really I almost like assigned myself like nerd homework. Like okay, yeah. now I will like Star Trek. Yeah, and I was allowed to watch one hour of TV independent of whatever my family was watching. One hour of TV a week. So really, I, I, yeah. So you had to really pick. Like, Besides, that's a tough I mean, I watched a decent amount of TV. I watched Saturday morning cartoons. Still, that was that was that did not count. Your for family the hour. didn't. That didn't count. That didn't count for the hour. Um, and then my family would just like watch whatever they were watching like at night. So I got to watch that as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, in terms of like what I could independently watch like by myself, that was like an hour a week. So and- I I like very. I distinctly remember being like Star Trek: The Next Generation is what I would like. And did next. you get into it? I did get into it uh, a decent amount for a while, and I like read like novelizations and stuff. Yeah, I remember there being this novelization where they, w- which I still think about a lot actually, where they basically explained why the Star Trek Enterprise was always encountering, like every week was encountering a new ah. thing. Like they found out that there was like some cosmic temporal. Sort of like that's interesting. They, had a, they were almost like weirdly like marked that they would always oh, encounter new stuff. That's all the so time. interesting because that's sort of you know we accept that in TV right. something crazy happens and it's just part of it and you don't think about it. Angela Lansbury right. is always around a murder, you know, yeah. and it just kind of sucks. <laughs> that's just her life, you know. That's right. just how it is. Jessica, whatever her name is, mm-hmm. but you don't really think of that. So this is sort of like like a meta thing where it's ex- yeah. taking something meta and then putting it into the actual yeah. narrative of the show. just explaining like why this ship? Why are they yeah. always encountering some new horrible thing? Now that I'm thinking about it, the only ev- the only like spin-off novel like that, you know, I've ever read was an X-Files one. Oh, really? Was, yeah. What was it? Shit, I don't remember. It was called Something Blood or something. It mm. was like I remember at an airport and I bought it. I was so crazy into X-Files. Like the first one of the first purchases I made in the U.S. was I bought an X-Files t-shirt and I went to the website and going to a website was crazy. Yeah. And they had all these t- X-Files t-shirts and I got one with the uh, host, the leech guy on it and I that was really fantastic. With who? 
the the host is the name of the episode. Oh is right, that a fluke man. Oh yes, yeah. I, I almost thought when we went to watch uh, this. Oh, that was that we're talking about today. Man? I thought it might have been the fluke one. I sort of yeah. had them conflated in my mind. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of tough to describe like the very specific point in time that like the show was becoming a thing. Like if you were a kid, because it kind of was like the internet was becoming a thing yeah. and like fanboy culture, and also like it's incre- it's an incredibly kind of nineties. Milieu to it, like like the this very like conspiracy, um, because because the the '90s is like the new '50s, where it's like everything's <laughs> very like, you know, we're just kind of humming along and yeah. we're doing our thing, and, and and obviously there were tremendous tremendous uh, uh, social <laughs> problems and and problems in the world, but it wasn't like we had we weren't like reckoning with them. It felt like it felt yeah. like we were mostly just like Clinton's president. All is right with the world. It's all good. The economy's going great. Pets.com is a thing. It's all, it's <laughs> all going to be great forever. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, I think that we got to, as a society, be like, what if there were fucking aliens, dude? Yeah. Let's look at the darkness behind <laughs> all this happiness. Because it was so, it was really safe. Yeah. There's a real safety to it. I like um, that Pets.com is one of your, like, <laughs> everything's great. Pets.com, Pets.com is a thing. <laughs> I have a subscription to a magazine called Yahoo Internet Life. Did you really? Yeah. There was a, a physical magazine, physical magazine about the internet called Yahoo Internet Life. Why which was, was it a Yahoo published like why magazine, did, glossy why they magazine? Just put it on the Yahoo website because they were like, "That's not." A thing. <laughs> we were like, "This this Yahoo.com thing is a passing fad. The thing that will always be here is publishing." That's really that's yeah. really really weird. I remember it was mostly Cindy Margolis. You remember her? Uh huh. She of was course. like the first like inter- internet only like supermodel or whatever was she internet only she was like she wasn't internet only but that was kind of her thing was that she embraced she the out. internet and yeah. so she was the she was sort of the Dane Cook of yeah. of Cindy Crawford <laughs> she was the Dane Cook of Cindy Crawford <laughs> that's a quote I would like to think makes sense even without context I think you're right that Sydney Margolis is the Dane, Dane Cook, Cook of Cindy Crawford <laughs> and that's I mean that's huge yeah that's and, a big tweet <laughs> um, but yeah on, on a like uh, I, I guess sort of like um, a fanboy level yeah definitely like Dana Scully was kind of a big um, oh my god sort of primitive pre-adolescent um, lust object. Yeah, yeah. I'm a um, little bit older than you, so that was definitely right. already like, I had a in my head a right. plan for what I what we were gonna do together. You're probably like some sort of vague thing. I've like I've got <laughs> distinctly. Yeah, I've got a checklist. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but she's gonna be very skeptical about the. the yeah, whole thing. yeah. Just trust me on right. this. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna be like, I'm not sure this is a good idea, but she's yeah. gonna kind of go, go along. With it. Um. Yeah. Uh. I re- the the th- and I I think I I have a reference to this in like a, a storytelling show that I did. But I this it sort of typifies my entire um elementary school and middle school existence. It was like my, my so me and my friend Trevor and a couple of other uh, friends of ours were on like a bol- summer bowling league, and between uh, frames for good luck, uh, I had a. <laughs> A picture of Jillian uh, Anderson, who played portrayed uh, Dana Scully on the X Files, that uh, I had ripped out of an Entertainment Weekly that I had purchased with my own money specifically for the purpose of, of ripping there out. There was Jillian Anderson yeah. in it, uh, and between frames for luck, we would uh, you know kiss it. Everybody would you? kiss. I, I mean, at least me and Trevor, and then the other guys. I think I think they, I think we, they probably came along a couple times. If they had, if they'd done it the entire time, I think we you would have won. won more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and that there. 
Yeah, she, it was uh, it was a heady a heady time. Um, I I wanted to. It's been awesome to like see her on TV so much again. I don't know if you watch Hannibal, but she's on Hannibal. She's on Hannibal. That's yeah. great. I really want to watch it. I feel like that show is like it's really it's, good. it's finally re- it's like reaching like the tipping point. Like I can't stop seeing people talk I about hope it. I've heard it's so. really good. It's getting a third season. She's playing. She plays Hannibal's therapist. Cool. So it's a really really cool. Like their sessions are really really oh, interesting. That's awesome. And then she's also in this BBC sort of miniseries called The, the Fall, Fall. Yeah. Which is uh, that's really. I've dark. heard that's really good too. Yeah. It's really she's really awesome. Good. Yeah, there's one episode in that, like, it's really great. I was recommending it to everybody. And then there's episode five, I think, or episode four, where you're like, then you talk, call everyone and be like, hey, I take back my recommendation because you're going to think I'm a fucking crazy psychopath. Oh, no. Because there's a real tough episode in there. Oh. So you just kind of have to know that's coming. Because gotcha. nothing in the show, um, well, I mean, it's about a serial killer. Right. But nothing prepared me for, like, an extended bad. It's It gets oh. real intense. Oh, boy. In a very real way, like Hannibal's very pulpy. The fall right. is very grounded. Wow. Okay. It's really great. Um. So, uh, what we decided was, well, what I decided was, right. you know, we've done the first two uh, episodes. Uh, third episode, Squeeze. It's the first sort of monster of the week episode, right. as they call it. And really, it's uh, one of the iconic bad guys. Like when you think of, you know, the top ten bad guys in the X Files, monsters yeah. of the week. Eugene Toomes is one of the names that shows up, and it's the first one. That they ever trotted out? Yeah, he. Um, well, it was interesting how many of just even just the images in the episode are in the title sequence, right? The yeah, when they like open so the door the, to his they, lair, yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. which they sort of like '90s video affected up in. Oh the, yeah, they did in it's the opening sequence. Weirdly, so slow motion. Yeah, the 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 opening. Se- it's it's weird. Like I feel like the show ha- is com- both completely dated and still totally works. If yeah. that makes any sense, at least this episode that, that that we just that I just watched like last night. And then, yeah, too, also his, like, elongated uh, oh, fingerprint, yeah. I feel like, is also in the title sequence Yeah, well. that elongated fingerprint is such a great, well, uh, like, sort of actual evidence that Mulder gets. Yes. That's like, hey, this is crazy. Right. If you take this normal guy's fingerprint and right. elongate him. So that's sort of undeniable. So I mm. like that episode three, there's something that happens and Mulder's completely right and Scully buys into right. it. Right. And you see how... Everyone else, like Mulder's just kind of doing the investigative work that everyone else would be doing. That's not like crazy out there for an FBI agent to He's be doing. It's of... only crazy out there because the only thing that permits him to do the next step of it is go, is not going, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. That's exactly right. Like he sort of follows it logically. Like there's no crazy leaps that he makes in this episode. It all sort of follows logically. And the all, all, the only reason that the other people don't catch on is because they sort of don't want to open their mind to it. What's cool in this episode, Episode, I thought is obviously Mulder's good at that sort of out of the box thinking, mm. but you also see what Scully is good at because Scully does the profile and says he's going to return to the scene of the crime, and Mulder says that's crazy. Turns out she's right. Right. So you sort of see for like you know solving crimes why they make a good team together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you it, it. Um, there are so many things that if they were if the knobs were slightly <laughs> tweaked, like the show just totally wouldn't work. Like yeah. I was thinking about that watching it last night, where it's like one of the really neat things, and I think one of the things that probably made it so successful, besides just the general it it ruling, 
Um, is, um, the show is successful because it rules. <laughs> um, end of my nine-week uh, TV analysis <laughs> That's class. my dissertation. Um, uh, is, uh, it does not the, the, the sort of um, detective structure of it. Like, it opens like a Law & Order episode. Yes, opens, it really does. You know, like, uh, this guy gets murdered. Okay, now we're figuring, in, in a very cool <laughs> way, with some very kind of crazy supernatural uh, imagery, and then you just spend the next, you know, 40 minutes kind of like, piecing it together in a very procedural uh, way. And I think that that really helps acclimate you to kind of the more crazy out there stuff. And I think also, too, the nice thing is that they're only ever it is playing by its own set of rules, but it is playing by some rules like there. It's not it wouldn't be a fun show if it were like supernatural detective show. So therefore, like it's like, OK, he's an alien. Wait, he disappeared because he's a ghost and now right. he's a werewolf. You know, like we're only ever exploring one type of thing with its own set of rules. Um, and once we're willing to accept that as Mulder is, is, is immediately willing to accept that kind of stuff. Um, and and Scully's able to actually kind of give it like logical parameters. It all like makes sense. I don't know. It, it, yeah, uh, and I cool. think you, you know you said it sort of feels '90s, but it sort of transcends that. And I think part of the reason it transcends that. Well, there's a couple. One, the characterization is so good. I think Absolutely. Mulder and Scully are so consistent. Yeah. Uh, almost to a fault, mm. um, but uh, they work so well together. The chemistry is great. And the other thing, most of these serious shows sort of develop a sense of humor later. It's interesting how much X-Files had its voice down. It's really funny. Like the first murder that happens, the camera pans across. You know something bad's happened, and you see something dripping, and you think it's blood, but then it pulls back and it's just coffee, and right. the blood is over to the side. That's just like a fun little <laughs> witty thing that happens. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And 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 I was I was actually amazed because there was a line in this episode that I I was like immediately like remembered, but didn't realize how early in the series it was because it seems like something that you would only do once you had more of a sense of your yeah. characters. Where Mulder they find <laughs> Toombs's like nest and he gets like uh, some stuff on his hands that Toombs has used to like cohese yeah. his nest and he's and and <laughs> Scully's like it smells like bile and yeah. Mulder's like is there any way I can get this off my hand quickly without betraying my cool exterior? Yeah, <laughs> and it's just such a perfect X Files and perfect like Mulder line and almost very self aware yeah. of who that character is. Um, and it just really shows how much kind of confidence they were they were making the show with to already have a, a, a line like that that so yeah. completely encapsulates the show's I think massive sense of humor. Yeah, uh, and I think it definitely had one. You're right. What Mulder does so well right from the beginning is he is very self-aware. He knows how people see him. He's very aware of mm. what his reputation is. And he sort of, he, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Like, there's one great, another great Mulder line he has is uh, he's sort of fucking with the FBI. And she's like, why are you doing that? And he sort of has this long speech that's sort of, you know, sincere. At the end, he says, sometimes the need to mess with their heads uh, outweighs the millstone of humiliation. <laughs> I was like, that's totally. such a great line. Right. Like, he wants to convince them, but you know what? Also kind of fuck you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's also like there's a real snobs versus slobs thing to it, especially this early on in the in the show where you're like, there is this X-Files thing that exists, which you just kind of have to buy that the FBI is like, all right, here's this thing called the X-Files that we're going to like give to this weirdo who like works in the basement. Spooky. Um, sp yeah, exactly. By but the way, everyone in the FBI knows him and hates him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's they're really like there's a real bullying aspect to it. Oh, like yeah. when he's putting these two very sort of traditional cop 
style yeah. like FBI dudes on this like stakeout and they're like, oh, whatever you say, spooky or yeah. whatever. And you really feel for the guy. You immediately yeah. sort of like bond with with Mulder and, and Scully by extension for for being first being kind of forced to to work with him and then sort of immediately glomming onto him and identifying with him and almost having a kind of like um a sisterly like protective thing over him when it, like the kind of nobody makes fun of my brother but me sort of a yeah thing. and it's interesting how they already establish what the stakes are for Scully because she sees the guy she went to school with right he's succeeding yeah her staying on the X Files is sort of it starts off not as punishment but it's definitely holding her back and you sort of see that she's already having to start making those decisions like yeah. if she's going to have like the traditional FBI trajectory where I think at one point he says you know he's not going to be back for another 30 years and you're going to be the head of the FBI by then right um so you sort of see what's at stake for her Absolutely. like she's picking Mulder and sort of the truth over her friend says a Donald Logue, a skinny Donald yes, Logue. Yes, skinny Donald Logue. He's talking about like another friend of theirs who like j- just got like bumped up the ladder, and he says he lucked into the World Trade Center bombing, which is like such a douchey, <laughs> shitty thing for him to say <laughs> that he just kind of throws away. <laughs> yeah, he lucked into that World Trade Center bombing. Yeah, no, totally, and it, it, it's it's interest. It's um not not something that I would have been able to appreciate at all as a like you know. 10 year old yeah like that aspect of the story where it's basically like somebody who has every everything going for them in a professional sense and it completely has the toolbox to to make a go of it in a sort of traditional career path but instead elects to do something like a little bit different at the cost of the sort of respect and admiration of their their peers and uh, the and and it just sort of immediately you 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 sort of identify with her and you sort of like glom onto her and you really get a sense of like you said what she has already invested in this this weird thing. Yeah, and it's interesting because there is a part where she kind of pushes against Mulder, where the uh, she is a little excited that she's getting a chance to sort of go with this more traditional FBI mm-hmm. team, and um, the first profile that she writes of the serial killer, who turns out to be Eugene Toombs, is very traditional. She doesn't go with Mulder's crazy theories. She sort of writes a very like straight down the middle profile of like a serial killer, twenty five to thirty five, white male, that kind of stuff. So you see that she obviously has some sort of you know she is seduced by that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, then sort of picks the truth. Um, another line I wrote down was that the whole, this is sort of going back a little bit, Mulder when he's fucking with him about the reticulans. You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's really funny. Totally. Yeah, yeah for sure. And it, it um, well, because I think that it already, if this show didn't have like a mile wide sense of humor and a sense of humor about itself, it kind of wouldn't work. Um, because if you didn't watch the X Files, that's kind of what you think the X Files is, right? Like yeah. Some some FBI agents with flashlights, like chasing a yeah. sort of classic gray alien yeah. that everybody had like a sticker of on their folder right. in like, 1994 with like the almond shaped yeah. eyes, and like there's a good amount of that. Yeah. But uh, but it's just it. Um, I think also has a a sort of um. A, there's something super in, there's something incredibly sincere about it and yeah. there's something incredibly um it's very sweet too, yeah exactly like I think that there's something there's like a a real um a, a kind of I think a belief about having a sense of humor that um that I think is held by people that don't really have a sense of humor that having a sense of humor is like a defense mechanism or something like that but if anything a sense of humor if it is a defense mechanism I think often for people that are truly funny it's only defending a real um 
earnestness and sincerity and a belief in something, whatever that thing is. And I think the X-Files definitely has that where it both able is able to experience like the wonder and the and the paranoia of like there's fucking aliens in the farmhouse uh, that stole Mulder's sister or whatever. And while well, they were playing Stratego. Um, and then there's also, <laughs> yep. um, and then there's also the, um, the kind of like wry cynical humor yeah. that, that to, to, to sort of defend that. That is interesting. That I hadn't thought of it like that, where traditionally people think people are using humor to sort of build a wall against you when really it's considered sort of the opposite of sincerity. But what right. you're saying is sometimes that that sense of humor actually is protecting your sincerity. So, I think so. And it's how you're sort of translating it to the rest of the world. And the aliens thing is interesting because Mulder first has a some sort of crazy theory and Scully's like, should I tell everyone it's aliens? And she, he's like, no, don't be crazy. It's not aliens. <laughs> right, exactly. It's a liver mutant right, guy. Right. And so that's when she's like, oh, it's not just aliens with right. this guy. It's a ton of shit. It's a ton of shit. Um, there is uh, um, the, the another really funny part I like that's uh, in the the when they're doing the polygraph test, and he's like, "Are you over a hundred years old?" And he's like, "No." And that's really the only time they find out that it spikes because he's been so good at lying. He's been mm. doing it for so many years. That's the first time that you see the spike because he's like, "Oh fuck, they're kind of onto me." So it seems like even to the audience, it seems like, "Oh, that's kind of a stupid thing." Even if he's over a hundred years old, mm. he's just going to discredit himself in front of these more traditional FBI people. But that strategy actually works. It actually does unnerve the bad guy, mm -hmm. and it's the only time you see that happening. Yeah, and yeah. And, and what a great scene! It is such like, a great it, scene. It completely like plays the premise of the show. Like if you were if you were pitching the X Files, that's the kind of thing that you would talk You'd about. See. Like a yeah. scene with like a sort of traditional, um, which which obviously Breaking Bad went on to be great at is like take a sort of traditional, uh, uh, police or 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 crime show scene like an interrogation scene, but we're interrogating like this creature that yeah. like exists and has existed for hundreds of years. And yeah, let's that's, see how that plays out. It's really cool. Like that, that's exactly right. What X Files does so well is take the supernatural, then kind of ground it in the mundane, and that really is like you've seen a polygraph test a hundred times. You right. Know, you've every other Law and Order has that or yes. whatever, but in this one, it's like a hundred year old monster. Totally. Yeah, and I like the way that they realize. I, I, as a kid, I remember watching it and being so excited at the fact that, you know, the X-Files is around right now. But this crazy shit has been going on forever. This guy's been around for hundreds of years. Totally. And only now are we finding out about it. So it had this, like, real depth of, like, right. mystery to the world. Absolutely. You know? yeah. When Mulder says in the show that that X-File has originally been around since, like, the 1920s or yeah. something, and I'm like, I want to see that show. Yeah. I want to see like the 1920s. There's a great X -Files, episode, like the Keystone X Files. There's, <laughs> or just like, <laughs> yeah, they're running around. Uh, there's a there's an episode later where I don't I remember liking it. I haven't rewatched it in a while. Where they actually go and they talk to um, like a, the older version of the X Files. It was like in the 60s. Oh, like they cool. go talk to that guy, and I don't know if it's this one or not, but the guy who played. Kolchak, the Night Stalker, which... Yes. Did you ever watch that show? No, I didn't. I remember in my X-Files fandom at the time reading about the show a lot, and it was cited a lot as a like big influence on yeah. this show. Yeah, it's, on, it's been on my Netflix instant queue forever. <laughs> I'm like, or I could just watch the X-Files. Right. You know? 
Yeah. Um, there's another really sweet moment that happens right after that scene where Mulder realizes like he's going to encounter a lot of resistance. And he's sort of known this for a while where he, he gives Scully permission to leave. He's yeah. like, listen, you can go and do your thing. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like he's really going to hold it against her. So it really is up to her to choose to stay because she believes it. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about it, this is a pretty important episode on a sort of overall story arc of the of the show yeah. beyond just like the monster of the week thing. It was interesting when I remember watching the show initially, um, the monsters of the week were my, even though I enjoyed them a lot, I remember always being like, let's get to a conspiracy one. Let's get to a Me conspiracy too. one, you know? Me too. Um, and and then, now it's sort of flipped. Like yeah. people think of those, uh, the mythology as being shitty. I think they're wrong. Until season six, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's really good. With season six, is that when? Right after the movie. Gotcha. I think it's pretty good, holds together, and then the movie happens after five. Right. And then six actually isn't that mythology heavy from what I remember. It's a lot of like great one-offs that are actually really funny and weird and um, cool, uh, and then it gets bad. But right. because the mythology ended in sort of a shitty place, people think that all of it's bad. It's really not. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly when I fell off of the show. It was definitely like before high school, but it was on for a it was on for a long time. Yeah. I definitely I've I fell off before like Robert Patrick was on and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, I watched a little bit of that. Right. There was one good one where I think I remember there's like a little like leech thing that people worship as Jesus and it like sort of takes you over. I just thought it was a cool idea to take like sort of religious iconography and put it into this weird like little monster. Sure. Thing. It was a cool idea. Um there is Oh, you know what I liked was We've seen a ton of like, well, not anymore, but the microfiche montages where they're like, <laughs> totally. but it's cool when right. Mulder says, can you give me some drama? I mean, this shit makes me nauseous. And we haven't heard that. No. It, it would because it's yeah. sort of flying, flying by. by. Yeah. yeah, totally. It takes like a traditional thing and adds like a nice like little character spin moment to it, you know? And you know then that Mulder has done this so much. Right. <laughs> Looked for crazy shit so much <laughs> that he's like, listen, this is going to be rough for me. Um, There is... Uh, one moment I really liked was um, the going into the actual lair. Like they sort of build it up as this thing, and because the guy looks like a normal guy, he doesn't look like he's a creepy-looking guy. But he's what they do so well is add this sort of mythos around him, and like you know, going into the lair where they're like, "Oh yeah, he was right. I could feel it." You right. Know? They really like they they sort of. Uh, make you feel more than they can show. Yeah, well, also, if uh, that reminds me that if there's anything about this episode that I thought was maybe a little bit heavy-handed, but ultimately, because you know, if you know where the show sort of goes, they do it a lot more successfully in later episodes, but the sort of, the idea that they go and they talk to this guy who had worked one of the original cases, yeah. and he's like, this is like, everything yeah, in he's human like, history. He's like genocide. Yeah. That's a little bit much where he's like, it's like genocide, all the evil, genocide, Eugene Toombs. Yeah, you, you don't quite see it, but then definitely like throughout the show's history, they way more successfully thematically and directly tie X-Files in with sort of actual atrocities and things that happened in, 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 in the course of world history. It's just, it's it's interesting to see that they were wanting to do that from the very beginning, but I yeah. think it doesn't quite connect in this yeah, one Yeah, it's well. episode three. Let's take it easy. Yeah. We're just <laughs> buying into the fact that there's aliens and liver, like monsters. Who but I give him credit for, 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 for going for it. But yeah, his, his lair is super, super uh, creepy. And it, uh, it has a real... Um, yeah, it uh, great production design. Whoever made that, like his like weird nest. 
What a of, what, like, newspaper. Great casting too, because physically he's not intimidating. He's a little guy. Right. But when he's like licking the newspaper at the end, making a new nest, like how creepy would oh, that be? So if cool. you're a cop and there's like a guy in like the cell, they're like right. this guy's crazy, and he's just slowly just making a nest for himself. Fucking insane. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm as my I'm sure comic book guys uh, throughout since this ep- in the 20 years since this episode has aired and my girlfriend pointed out last night but I hadn't thought of before like Mulder like slaps the cuffs on him at the end and the first thing you think is like oh he's, he's just, just gonna, gonna get stretch out that. of him yeah. but I don't know yeah. he doesn't I guess well I don't know what the limit is because the, the show ends with you know the food little hole right. and he looks at it mm-hmm. and he's clearly gonna be able to get out of it Yeah, but that's a pretty thin hole so. well I think there's a certain there's something in his eyes that I think in, in him looking at that thing that it, and the, the sort of patience with which he's like building the nest that more says like eventually he's going to be able to get out. Yeah. Of like yes. there's something about it where he's just kind of like I'll fi- in, in an almost Shawshank Redemption like digging out a spoonful <laughs> at a time way like he's slowly yeah. going to figure out how to turn himself into a panini. Yeah. He has to really <laughs> panini himself. That was going to be the name of the episode. Human panini. <laughs> And they went with squeeze. And then instead. they were like, "Wait, paninis haven't become a thing. <laughs> They're not yeah. huge yet. They're not huge yet." What I also like, one little like little touches that the show is so good at, is that for him, like stretching, it kind of hurts. It's not easy. Right. Like, he has to like work hard. He's not like rubber man who can just go through keyholes. Like he has to kind of compress and hurt. It hurts him. Like you can, you can, you could see. That yeah. No, of... for sure. Like the the such. Um... I think they kind of knew their special effects limitations so well and were so, yeah. so able to sell things with just a little bit. But, like, the, um, I was surprised at how well the him stretching himself. The, well, the music, the. Yo, yeah. Oh, God, the little. Yeah. I was like, doesn't need to be in more things. That's such a great sound. Yeah, totally. It's like evil crickets or something. Yeah. But when he stretches himself out, I thought that special effect actually, like, held up pretty well. But then the thing that really sells it is the shot of from outside when he's, like, you see his, like, legs kicking in the chimney. And you sort of see him kind of, like, slowly, like, Working slide to, yeah. in. It's just, ugh, it's so... Uh... You're right, they did such a great job. I really, I think there's only one shot where they actually show his hand stretching, and I think it's some sort of weird camera thing where it like looks like they like stretch it elongated or oh, something. Oh, yeah, 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 maybe. I think they might have even done some, I think it might have even been, like, CGI a little bit, but like just a video effect of him, like of his of his hand, his like hand stretching, stretching yeah, yeah, with his face in the background. Um, and then there's a great moment at the end. I forget the exact line. I thought I'd written it down, but there's a moment where, you know, Mulder says like, "There's so much out there." Uh, and like you know, we're not enough, and it sort of sets up this thing of like, oh, we really need the X Files. There's right. this. Oh, he says like, you know, there's all these cops, and they're all doing stuff, and then you see a guy like Eugene Victor Toomes, and you're like, that's not enough. Right. And that's sort of the thesis for why you need the X Files. Totally. Like, we really need that because there's gonna be people who look at things traditionally and you know put them in traditional prisons, but then there's going to be these crazy like outlier monsters, and that's sort of what the show is. The yeah. show is going to be all these people that slip through the cracks because they can stretch. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, no, absolutely. And it just sort of is a, um, I don't know, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer because even the even if there's not like supernatural stuff out there and like and like stretchy men eating people's livers and then hibernating for 30 years you definitely know that there are those problems and issues within society or like you know like that a one size fits all approach is not going to 
deal with. Yeah. And that there, you, it's like you see like a documentary about like, oh, the public school system's broken or whatever, and you go like, oh yeah, it's broken. Yeah. And then you you don't, you don't do, do anything. anything. Yeah. You know, and, and, and like, I and I yeah. say that as somebody who is a super. I think of myself as being super liberal and progressive yeah. or whatever. But then it's like, but how much stuff do you actually? Do and I think that there's a it's a little bit of a of a of a of a tangent, but I think that one of the nice things about the idea of a Mulder and a Scully, just like the nice thing about a lot of great cop characters, be they the guys on True Detective season one or or, or even on like Law and Order SVU or something, is a sense that you know what we're not going to be able to fix all of it right away. But we can fix But this. we can do what we're doing right now. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing that if you think about that, it keeps you from despairing about all of the issues of the world. It's like, because I think that like anytime you open like Twitter yeah. or whatever, you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. There's so much stuff oh, that's yeah. so broken. There's, there's school shootings and global warming. Yeah. But right now I can catch this liver monster. <laughs> this is what I can do. And that's a really beautiful way to sum up why the X-Files is, uh, you know, relevant to our actual lives. Like, right. think out of the box and try and do what little you can. Absolutely. Thank you so much for Thanks coming. Thanks for having Casey. me. See, um, we'd love to have you back. I, I will definitely I honestly, do it. you know, was looking for people. I was like, oh, there's going to be so many of my friends who are into this. Asked, you know, uh, you were one of the first people I thought of, but then I've been sort of lining up people for the right. next few episodes. I asked Patton Oswalt. He wasn't into the X-Files. Like, I, I, I'm trying to think of, like, more people. So I'd love to have you as a guy who can come on and talk about the Monster of the Weeks, you know, every, Please, every absolutely. few episodes. Yeah, I'd love to. And I'll definitely keep my feelers out for other other X, <laughs> yeah, fi- whatever they're called, X. It's F- X-Files with a PH. Yes, of yeah. course, it, like fat. Yeah, like fat. Files. <laughs> Pretty hot uh, and aisles. Uh, thanks, DC. Thanks for having me. Hey, so I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Um, next week's episode, we're going to be talking Conduit with Dan Harmon, who's, I didn't realize, this is a big X-Files fan who's watched uh, almost every episode of this show. Um, and here's a little clip from that episode. Third episode in is their first Monster of the Week episode. Right. That's the one that introduces Tombs. Right? Yeah, and that's a pretty iconic bad guy. It's, he's, he's, the, he's the con of X-Files. <laughs> kind of, yeah. They did a couple episodes with him after. Yeah, so yeah. People wanted more Tombs, which is so funny because it's such a silly ability to be able to just <laughs> stretch but it, yeah and it, but it's like that's that's great i mean con's a dumb idea for star trek but it's like you never you don't know it's ricardo Montalban. yeah oh the feedback to the podcast has been so good uh we decided to set up an email address so email me at the x files files at gmail.com uh that's the x files files at gmail.com um tell me whatever thoughts you have and if you have ideas for new segments you know i just started doing this podcast so i'm sort of figuring it out as i go so if you guys have ideas things you'd like to see things you like to hear hear about let me know and don't tell me that you want me to get david duchovny on because uh, trust me, uh, I would love for that to happen. Uh, but any other ideas, let me know. Thanks, guys. It's Jacques. It's Carl. It's Edgar. And we are your boys from Against the Grain. Check us out on iTunes. Subscribe to us or listen to us on your favorite podcasting app. We talk all the shit. We talk none of the shit. We talk a majority of the shit. You should check us out and listen. See just how much shit we really talk. Yeah, baby. Against the grain.